No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. Welcome to the Sporting Life with Jeremy Schaap. Over the next hour, disgraced former NBA referee Tim Donaghy describes how he got caught up in the scandal that had him sent to prison and rocked the league. I started to gamble at the country clubs, uh, play blackjack in the locker rooms, get into limos and run down to the casinos, and it just spiraled, and, and I made one poor decision after another, crossed one line after another that I shouldn't have been near, and gambling kind of got the best of me. And journalist Andrea Shambly shares the emotional story of her husband who was killed in a mass shooting in the Annapolis Capital Gazette newsroom last year. He wanted to be remembered as a sports writer. He didn't want to be remembered for how he would die. I know he wanted to be remembered for how he lived, and he lived as a student of the game and a true aficionado. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schapp. Welcome to another edition of The Sporting Life. Later in the show, we'll be speaking to the disgraced former NBA referee, Tim Donaghy. There's a new movie coming out about the scandal that swallowed up his career. But first, it is a pleasure to welcome back to The Sporting Life, the host of the new ESPN Daily Podcast, the great Mina Kimes. Mina, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, you know, we're only on, uh, as we speak now, it's Wednesday afternoon, October 23rd. You've been doing this show for about 72 hours. The third edition is out. The fourth, I'm sure, is well under production uh, or into production, I should say. Uh, uh, what is it like trying to maintain this pace? The challenge, I think, of doing a daily sports podcast is that things happen in sports every day that change change these stories. And we happen to be in the busiest time of the sports calendar. We launched on the week of the NBA opener, the World Series, halfway through the NFL season. And we have tried to do stories that address all of these things uh, and are very timely and kind of bring in the experts who, who know those subjects the best around the company. And it's uh, quite a blessing because we have so much to talk about, but we are trying to choose the things that fascinate us the most, whether it's the Lakers-Clippers rivalry yesterday or ahead of the Sixers opener. Uh, we'd have a story uh, on Ben Simmons and his uh, shooting issues, shall we say, to the World Series coming up. So so clearly what this is, if you haven't had a chance to listen, um, is... is um is a deep dive. It's it's not Sports Center uh, via podcast. It's not the sports headlines, uh, a rundown of them on a daily basis. What what is the mission here on a daily basis? The mission is to pick the most interesting story in sports. So that's not always the obvious headline grabbing piece. It's not always the biggest trade. We're not breaking down scores or anything. We're not reporting scores or anything like that. It's something that just we've decided people really need to know something fascinating. And, um, you know, the goal is to be entertaining, of course, but also to make people feel like smarter sports fans. We're speaking with Mina Kime. She's the host of the new ESPN Daily Podcast. We encourage everyone to subscribe and rate 
Five stars, of course. You've been a senior writer here at ESPN. You appear on a number of television shows. You've had a radio show. You've achieved in all these different platforms. How is uh, a podcast, we always hear the word intimacy applied to it, how it's different than declaiming on the radio or, or appearing on a panel show or, or hosting a show. How is it different? Well, you know, I have a football podcast, the Meaning Time Show featuring Lenny, that comes out once a week. And that, that podcast is very similar to the talk I do for shows like Around the Horn, Highly Questionable. It's, you know, a lot of opinions and X's and O's analysis. ESPN Daily is more about the stories themselves. Um, you know, and, and that, in some ways, it kind of draws a little bit more on my experience as a reporter, uh, which combining that, I, I think, with uh, my background in analysis and commentary, but it really is about bringing sort of shining a bright light on stories and also on the insights of the reporters who have actually done those stories. Uh, so I think in some ways I wouldn't call it like an audio newspaper or anything like that because it, it is one story, but I think it is very informational in that sense, um, in that if you listen to it every day, you will walk away a better informed sports fan. Among the challenges with these kinds of shows, whatever it is, when you're taking a, a deep dive in something in the world of sports, where it's not about the scores, it's not about the box score, and, and I've been through this for a number of years as well with various shows at ESPN, is it, it, it's... It's not always apparent what that big story is or what story is multi-layered enough to deserve that kind of treatment. A lot of people are familiar with the New York Times Daily, which does a deep dive every day. And it's no secret that in some ways this is modeled on that format as well. But it's one thing in the world at large, the world of news, where so much is happening, particularly at this moment uh, in time. Um, but in the world of sports, it is more challenging. So how how are you guys working to identify stories worthy of this treatment? It is a group effort, um, you know, and, and I think one of the cool things about this project is we all, everyone involved, the producers, myself, the engineers, we all have different sports we love. Uh, NFL is my specialty at ESPN, but I think as a group, what we're doing is putting our heads together, looking at all these stories and asking, which is the one where when you read it, you immediately want to talk to someone else about it. You know, you, like it, it, we want, we're looking for the kinds of stories um, where you, you go to your office and you, you ask someone, hey, did you see this? This is really interesting. Hey, did you read this great story by Tim Bontemps about Ben Simmons? And if he actually develops a three, why he thinks the Sixers would be favorites to win the NBA Finals? And, and here's the incredibly interesting history of it. And here's how other players who struggle with outside shooting develop over the course of their careers. I think that's sort of the uh, parameters we're setting when we choose stories. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things, too, is, you know, just by dint of what um, what podcasts are and the people who listen to them, it's a different audience than the core ESPN television and even radio audience. Taking that into consideration, how do you have to um, you know what kind of context do you have to provide on a daily basis for people? The hope is, of course, are, are not just hardcore sports fans who will be listening. I think we have to 
do a lot of things. You're right. It's it's not just hardcore sports fans. We can't assume people are, you know, familiar with every story that we talk about. When I do my NFL pod, for example, I don't explain anything. I just jump right into X's and O's. That's not what this is. But by that same token, we want people who are already familiar with, you know, the broad strokes of a story we're discussing to come away feeling like, wow, I learned something new about that. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are providing context and there's an approachability to how we describe these stories. But this is not going to be remedial explainer type stuff. Uh, this is going to be pretty our, our approach to this is going to be to add a tremendous level of insight. Unfortunately, we can lean on our reporters to do that. Is it going to be one of those things, though, like right now we're going through the World Series. You're going to be talking, presumably, about the World Series over the course of the next few days. Justin Verlander's starting for the Astros. Justin Verlander, comma, one of the greatest pitchers of his generation, comma, you know, guy who came there from Detroit to win championships. The kind of thing that on, say, you know, Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast, uh, you don't have to specifically uh, educate the audience about. Do you think you're going to have to do that kind of stuff here? Uh, you know, a bit, but I think even, yes, we are catering to a more mainstream audience, but it's safe to say most of our listeners are going to be sports fans who already uh, you know, know a lot about sports. Is this going to be fun for you? I hope so, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I, re- I, I always, I, I, you know what I found most fun about this project in particular, and it reminds me of uh, being a reporter, is uh, the only thing I really have to bring to the table every day is curiosity um, because I'm not the expert on a lot of these stories. We're bringing in experts, and so my job isn't to necessarily explain Justin Verlander or explain something going on in hockey, which is certainly not my sport, but to ask the right questions and ask the questions that the listener will want to know. And um, I really enjoy doing that, and I'm excited about it. Well, the show is off to a running start after its first three episodes. It's the new ESPN Daily, hosted by Mina Kimes. Mina, uh, good luck with the project. And thank you for taking some time. We know how busy you are right now to join us here on The Sporting Life. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Next week, a new movie comes out. It's called Inside Game. And it's about the NBA gambling scandal from a decade ago that centered around the referee, Tim Donaghy. And Tim joins us now. Tim, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Tim, you were a referee in the NBA for 13 years. Um, obviously, your tenure ended in disgrace and with revelations that you had been cooperating with gamblers to affect the outcomes of games. When you look back at that period of your life, how do you explain how it all happened? No, I, I explain it by, uh, unfortunately, making some poor decisions hanging out with the wrong people, crossing lines I shouldn't have been near. And uh, the fact that I love to gamble, and I started to, to gamble at the country clubs, uh, play blackjack in the locker rooms, get into limos and run down to the casinos, and it just spiraled, and, and I made one poor decision after another, crossed one line after another that I shouldn't have been near, and gambling kind of got the best of me, and, and I enjoyed the action from it, whether I was uh, you know on the golf course or or in my basement playing cards or, or placing bets on college or professional sporting events. How did you get in so deep? You know, I get in so deep because I think it just consumed me 
And, uh, you know, I love the action from it all. And, and I enjoyed, uh, you know, being the guy that had the information and, and passed along to people that uh, were placing the bets for me. And it got to a point where uh, I didn't know that this guy was, was passing the information along to people associated with organized crime. So when we stopped, uh, the people from organized crime wanted to continue to get those picks, came to the Philadelphia Airport Marriott. Uh, with a, a friend of mine, they tricked my friend into bringing uh, them to to me, uh, Tommy Martino, and and basically threatened that if I didn't continue to give them the picks, they would expose my prior gambling to the NBA, or or worse yet, have somebody visit my wife and kids in Florida. So uh, at that point, I knew I was in way too deep. I was hoping to to give them the picks to the end of that year and, and be done with it. We're speaking with Tim Donaghy, the former NBA referee whose career ended with revelations that he was cooperating with gamblers, working to affect the outcomes of games. And, and this went on for a while, Tim. Well, what do you think it said about the internal checks and controls at the NBA that you were able to do what you did for as long as you did? You know, I think they definitely had some uh, issues and, and some problems in how they conducted business. Uh, Phil Scala, who was the FBI agent to work the case, went in and told them they had a lot of things that they needed to clean up. It's portrayed very well in the movie uh, Inside Game with how the FBI agents are portrayed and and how they look into the whole situation and how it was all discovered. Uh, So it's definitely a situation where the NBA had some culpability in it. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, what I did uh, wasn't wrong 100 percent. I accept full responsibility for it. But the way the NBA conducted business uh, allowed me to do what I did and to become very successful at giving these picks out to people. Uh, so it's it's a situation where, uh, you know, I wish I could turn back time and I was never a part of it. And, and I uh, could still be an NBA referee. But, you know, unfortunately, we all know that you can't do that. And in the movie, it, it's portrayed greatly about the choices we all have to make in life and how Tommy and myself and, and Batista made those poor choices and not only did they affect ourselves greatly, but it affected the people we love the most, and that's our family. And, and that's the great message that's in the movie. Mm. We're speaking with Tim Donaghy about the new movie, Inside Game, uh, which comes out November 1st. It's about the gambling scandal. He was at the center of it back more than a decade ago. <laughs> you, you know, Tim, um, every film like this that's based on a true story takes certain liberties, You've obviously seen the film at this point. Uh, you eventually came around to a position where um, you were supportive of the film after initially not having been so. In, in what ways does the film get things right? And in what ways, if any, does it get things wrong? You know, it's Hollywood. So there's always going to be situations where they spice things up. Uh, and and is, it, is it correct? Uh, absolutely. I mean, they do a great job at, at putting the story out there. Uh, and you're right. At first, I didn't want to get involved in in the story because I felt like I wanted to have some creative rights to how the story was told. Uh, they didn't want to do that with me. And uh, because I felt like I did enough wrong in my life where they didn't really need to make stuff up. And they really did not uh, they, they showed me the film. Uh, I watched it several times. Uh, Paulie Martino and Tommy Martino, uh, you know, came and showed it to me at my house in Sarasota, Florida. And, uh, you know, they, they made some very valid points uh, about the message that's in the movie and some of the proceeds from Tommy's book, Inside Game, and the movie Inside Game 
are going to a school called Elwin, which is uh, for mentally and physically challenged, uh, you know, boys in Springfield, Pennsylvania. So with that being said, uh, it was very embarrassing for me to, uh, again, go through this and, and see all the mistakes that I made portrayed in a Hollywood film. But, you know, I think there's finally some good coming from it and, and the message that's in the movie and, and the proceeds going to this school for these challenged kids. So, uh, you know, I, I, it was an opportunity I just couldn't turn down. You know, for all these years, of course, up until very recently, the professional sports leagues said gambling is bad and um, they discourage gambling. Well, I don't know if it's fair to say they discourage. There might have been some quiet encouragement, but the official line was gambling is bad and we're not going to encourage further legalization of wagering on sports, uh, that it could corrupt our games. That that line of thinking changed a number of years ago, and, and of course it has to do with dollar signs more than anything else. What is it like for you now in 2019, a decade plus removed from your own situation, um, seeing the NBA embrace gambling at a certain level, embrace wagering on the sport, which we know can ultimately have negative ramifications. You know, it's tough. It's actually comical to me in a way. Uh, after everything that uh, you know went place took place in 2007, how David Stern came out on, on ESPN and said, "Legal gambling will cost you your job. Illegal gambling will cost you your freedom." As an NBA referee, and then found out that 55 out of 58 NBA referees. Uh, gambled in some way, shape, or form, and he couldn't fire them all. I think that was a, an eye-opening experience for the NBA. I think they began to realize how prevalent gambling was, and not also how prevalent it was, but you know the revenue stream that can come from gambling is just something that you can't pass up. And when you look at what's going on with China uh, today, and that revenue stream possibly being taken away, you know the, the revenue from gambling could possibly replace that. So, you know, it, it's all about the bottom line. It's a business, it's entertainment, and it's about making money. And, and they're going to do whatever they need to do, uh, you know, to make that money. And, and regardless of what they said or, or did in the past, moving forward, times change, and, and they need to take this to the next level. How are you doing today, Tim? You know, i got to be honest with you. I'm very fortunate that I've had great friends and family that have supported me. Uh, uh, my family has stood by me every step of the way. Uh, and, you know, I, I've gotten back on my feet. Uh, I'm involved in some real estate, involved in the website refpix.com, which is a consultant for people that use gambling as a form of entertainment. And, of course, this movie, Inside Game, that's coming out uh, is something that I think uh, is going to be a great message. As I said before, uh, Paulie Martino did an absolute terrific job in, in getting the actors together. Uh, Scott Wolf plays Tommy Martino. Eric Mabius plays myself. And Will Sasa plays Batista. And, and I'm telling you, when you see Will Sasa portray Batista, uh, it is so funny and, and comical. He does such a great job. I don't know how he can't get an Academy Award for, for his uh, you know uh, portrayal of what he did. Do you think that NBA games, you know, this sport which has only grown um, in the last decade, which is only getting more popular globally, um, do you think that games are are influenced by wagering in the sense that you know referees might be doing things that are untoward, players might be doing things that are untoward? Do you do you think games are getting fixed? 
Well, I can tell you this. I don't know if you know this name, but Michael Francisi was a captain in the Colombo crime family, uh, and he since has left and become a preacher. Okay, he has gone on the record as saying that in the uh, mid-1990s, three NBA referees were on his personal payroll, and none of them were named Tim Donaghy. So I think that there's a, a situation here where uh, it, it definitely went on. When I was there, it, it uh, is something where other people were involved. The NBA wanted to paint me as one bad apple. I think it's exposed now that that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, I think with my whole situation, I'm hoping that uh, an NBA referee or an NFL referee wouldn't get involved in doing what I did because of how detrimental it was to me and my family. I think where you're going to see the next scandal when it comes to gambling is at the college level when you can go to some of these Division One players that aren't going to go to the next level and say, here's 20, 25 grand. Uh, you know, you can take care of your family. Uh, you can win the game that you're supposed to win, but you're favored by 15. Don't win by 15. Win by 12, 13, 14. Just don't win by 15. You're really not doing anything wrong. Here's the money. I think you're going to find that, you know, it's going on now that people are doing this. It just hasn't been, uh, you know, something that's been caught or exposed yet. But I think it's going to definitely happen in the future uh, because there's not enough education out there to let these people uh, know that, uh, you know, you hang out with the wrong people, you talk to the wrong people, uh, and they get their uh, grips on you and, and get you in a compromising position that you're going to owe them, and this is what they're going to do to you. Do you buy the line of thinking that legalized, more widespread wagering on team sports will more easily bring to the attention of the authorities any irregularities? You know, I, I think that there has to be uh, some type of regulation. There has to be, you know, eyes on every facet of, of uh, uh, people that are involved in the sport, from the trainers releasing uh, information uh, that's not public, uh, on injuries to the players, to the referees, to the coaches. And, you know, you have to make sure that, uh, you know, if there's any information that should be out there, uh, you know, that can affect these gambling lines, that it doesn't get out there. And that if it is information that should be out there, that's going to affect the lines, that it gets released to the public immediately and people aren't able to take advantage of it. But I think you're, uh, you know, always going to have corruption. When you talk about gambling, you talk about the mob. Uh, and you talk about uh, a lot of things that go uh, on underground with it being legalized and coming above ground. Hopefully they'll be able to put, uh, you know, some stop gaps in place to prevent the next big scandal. The new film is Inside Game, and it is largely about Tim Donaghy's story. Tim, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having joined us here on The Sporting Life. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thanks, guys. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This week on Outside the Lines, we spoke with Rebecca Timlin Scalera, a former D1 athlete who has metastatic breast cancer. Her foundation, The Cancer Couch, is raising funds and awareness to fight the disease. Four years ago, at the age of 43, Rebecca Timlin Scalera was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. Since her diagnosis, she has dedicated herself to working for a cure. Her foundation, the Cancer Couch, has raised more than $2 million to combat the disease that claims more than 43,000 lives each year in the U.S. alone. And Rebecca joins us now. Rebecca, you were a D1 athlete. You played soccer at Fairfield University, not that far from here. Being an athlete, having been a successful athlete, how does that inform the approach you've been taking to combating this disease? 
You know, Jeremy, I've been thinking about that, and I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, if you become an athlete because of some inborn instincts that you have or if you hone those over time. But I definitely think it applies. And, you know, what happened with me was kind of interesting in that I was first diagnosed at stage four and became part of this huge metastatic community and then was restaged and got a chance, thought I would have a chance, to stage three. And that's when I started the foundation. Now, I've since gone back and been, unfortunately, um, restaged to metastatic disease, and it's actually um, much the most aggressive type. I have triple negative. But in that, like, six weeks that I was part of this metastatic community before I was restaged to 3C and thought I had a chance, I became part of, like, a team. So when I was pulled out of that, like the abyss, like pulled out of the abyss, there was just something in me that said, I'm not leaving my teammates behind. And that was my first reaction was I can't leave these people that I just connected to. And it taught me this incredible information about breast cancer that I had no idea. In the cancer couch, a lot of its work is about what you're talking about. Uh, Very little funding actually for cancer research, uh, work toward finding a cure goes to people who are at stage four, who have metastatic breast cancer. How is the cancer couch trying to rectify that? And why is that the case? Yeah, this this is what I learned during that time frame, that less than 7% of all the billions and billions of that pink ribbon funding that's gone on over the decades goes for treatment for stage four. And I don't have a great answer for why I think you treat the masses, and, and that's great. Those pink ribbon campaigns have done a lot of good. But it's time to pivot because 30% of people that are diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer will eventually metastasize, and most of them don't even know that. Men get breast cancer, too. Your audience might be interested to find out. Beyonce's father just came out that he has breast cancer, and I'm so grateful that he did because often when men get breast cancer, they're very embarrassed by it. It's very misunderstood, and they also tend to be much farther along because they haven't had the screenings. So what my foundation does is we put every single dime into research for metastatic breast cancer. We don't take a dime out of it. It's a pro bono organization. And some other people were so behind our mission that we get every dollar anonymously matched. So actually this fall, now we've only been around for about three and a half years. In November, with the checks I cut, we're going to pass the $3 million mark. And all we do is fund metastatic yeah, breast cancer research. It's a remarkable testament to the work that you've been doing uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us here, especially during Breast Cancer Awareness. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The Washington, D.C. area has produced some of the best basketball players this nation has ever known. At the high school level, there have been legends, Hall of Famers, great teams, and that culture of basketball in the capital in our nation's capital is the subject of a book that has just been published. It is called, appropriately enough, The Capital of Basketball, A History of D.C. Area High School Hoops. And the book was written by John McNamara. You might remember his name. John McNamara was among five Capital Gazette employees in Annapolis, Maryland, shot to death in a mass shooting in early summer 2018. He was working on this book at the time of his death and posthumously his wife, his widow, Andrea Chambly, uh, made sure that this book would be published. Gary Williams, the Hall of Fame coach, has written the foreword. Uh, it means uh, a lot to us now that Andrea Chambly is joining us here on The Sporting Life to talk about 
her husband, John McNamara's book, The Capital of Basketball. Andrea, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, what did, what did high school basketball in the D.C. area mean to John? Well, he says in the book, it's the best entertainment you can have for the money. You can <laughs> sit right next to uh, future Hall of Famers and watch their athleticism and their teamwork and and the wonderful coaching we've always had in this area and um, and be right next to the action. Um, it's it's just uh, intoxicating to watch these athletes work. Um, and uh, um, this area has always been popular uh, for basketball players, in part because of the opportunities here for, especially for African Americans with Howard University and the graduates from Howard would tend to go on to teach at high school um, when they couldn't get employed in colleges and other places. And so they became wonderful teachers to generations ahead of them. They, they coached their, their basketball games. And, um, and then if, if they did want to work for the federal government, they got a fair shake at their salary at the pay parity here in the area. So uh, even today we have coaches that have coached for 40 years we have playgrounds that have been famous playgrounds for a hundred years, and um, and it's just a great place to watch a game. We're speaking with Andrea Chambly, whose husband John McNamara wrote the Capital of Basketball: A History of DC Area High School Hoops, which has just been published posthumously. Um, how did John? Why did John become a sports writer? Well. Um, he he writes about going to his first game and being caught up in the the showmanship and the athleticism and um he was six one but he went to some of the best high school basketball uh institutions in the world so um so he didn't get to play on the teams but he became a journalist and he covered them uh, he did scrimmage with uh, the University of Maryland women's team when he was there but he also covered the college hoops at college. And um, and he was a student of the game. He loved to watch it. He loved to help people understand it and get caught up in it also. he's He wrote other books. He wrote books about, uh, I believe, football at the University of Maryland, uh, which is where the two of you met. Um, how much time would he spend around uh, the high school game? Uh, well, I think I, I covered high school for my own high school paper, um, and uh, I covered high school basketball for my own high school paper. And I think I have probably been to 500 high school games, and I don't think I'm anywhere near how many he went. <laughs> um, he would he would go once a week during the season or more, um, and I know he would have gone more if the season lasted longer. <laughs> a lot of Sports writers, when they've been doing it for a long time, and I've known a bunch of them, not just sports writers, but sports reporters, uh, sports TV commentators, um, they get jaded. They feel they've seen everything, sometimes lose their passion for the sports, their enthusiasm. How did John maintain his high degree of enthusiasm all those years covering sports? That's a great question. I know we talked often about how much we missed good defense in the pros uh, <laughs> and uh, and we we just watched more college sports um, we became big fans of the women's game that has much less um, 
basket to basket dunking shows. Uh, it's a it's a team effort and a team game. We're speaking with Andrea Shambly, her husband John McNamara uh, is the author of a new book, The Capital of Basketball: History of DC Area High School Hoops. And John was among uh, five killed uh, at the Capitol Gazette in a mass shooting in June 2018. For you, Andrea, um, what have the last what what have the last 16 months been like? Well, a lot of it has been sleepwalking, to tell you the truth. The chance to work on this book has really uh, focused my attention on getting this done for John. Um, it was about 13 years ago when Bob Dwyer of the great program at Archbishop Carroll, um, where John Thompson went to school, um, at the Lions, um, passed away. And John, John bemoaned this and said, you know, this guy has such great stories about high school basketball in DC and now I can't write my book. And I said, yes, you can, and you will, and I'll do whatever you need to get this done because there's still plenty of people out there who can tell these great stories. So he's been working on this book for 13 years when he died, and it was very, very close to being finished. Um, and John was the kind of guy who would do anything for me. I, I didn't have to... I didn't expect him to read my mind, but I didn't have to ask most of the time. He would do it. So it was important to me to return that favor. I always felt I was a little bit or a lot behind in keeping up with John's kindness and generosity to me. And it was important to me to close that gap a little bit and finish this this labor of love for him. And you can see when you look at the book, it really is a labor of love. I mean, it is it is definitive. It is authoritative. It is, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's got the complete history, uh, as it says in the title of basketball, high school basketball in the DC area. Um, this is clearly something that took a lot of time and required, uh, a lot of reporting and, uh, could only have been done by someone really steeped in the game in DC. Th- this book, um, Capital Basketball, seeing it now, um, seeing it now uh, published 16 months after John's death. What does it mean to you that the book is out there? Well, it's the last promise I can keep to John. And um, it's so gratifying and so bittersweet that it's out there. Um, but I, I want to show him that this is one promise. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to ask for specifically, but I kept it for him. He wanted to be remembered as a sports writer. He didn't want to be remembered for how he would die. I know he wanted to be remembered for how he lives, and he lived as a student of the game and a true aficionado of the game. If I could show you how many boxes I have in his den of microfiche, um, I think it would befuddle anybody to know why he collected all that information. Mm. But I can show them this book and say this book is why these stories need to be told. These accomplishments of these amazing people, whether they went onto the Hall of Fame or just went on to change other people's lives in the other ways they did, their stories need to be told. Well, the book is a remarkable testament to John's Mm. passion 
for the subject and a testament yeah. as well to his talents. Uh, Andrea Chambly, thank you so much for joining us here in The Sporting Life to talk about your husband John McNamara's book, The Capital of Basketball. Thank you. He really liked the show. Um, I, he was a student of, of the ESPN great shows out there that have people you know, talk about sports instead of yelling about it. <laughs> and uh, I know he he loved um, your work in the show. And kind. if I could get a chance to thank David Elfin, who helped me look at this. And Morgan Wooten looked at all the pictures to help me figure out oh, who was course. in them. Because John didn't need to write down notes about who the pictures were. There's 175 pictures in this book. He knew it all. And uh, <laughs> and I, I saw the box of pictures, and I didn't know who they were, so I brought them to Morgan Wooten's house, and he knew all of them. Um, so the community has been wonderful. Andrea Shambly. Thank you. Thanks for having joined us. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and this has been The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio. We're on every Saturday and every Sunday morning at 6 Eastern Time.